The Railway Children, a five-part radio series which tells the history of the railway in Athlone, County Westmeath, Ireland, as well as the stories of railway workers and their families. The Railway Children is presented by Ursula Ledwith and produced by, uh, on Athlone Community Radio and it was edited by Amanda Gunning with sound by Kyle McCallum. And I want to thank Athlone Community Radio for permission to use this series and we will share the episodes with you over the coming weeks. This is a sneak preview to give you a flavour of what is in store. The train was still blowing as it trundled along the track on its journey across the Great White Bridge from east to west and back. Now it carries me homeward bound. Ring the curtain down and a wandering light spent far away from my native Athlone town. Call boy. That was one of the earliest jobs I ever did on the railway. You went into work at one o'clock in the morning. To make sure that a driver and a fireman were in, you had to call them, knock at their house an hour before they were due on, on duty. And sometimes the driver would sleep on. And he'd come in, and the first thing he'd say was, the call boy didn't call me. <laughs> and he'd be believed before the call boy. I can assure you that, because the drivers were like gods at the time. They were the boss when you got up on the footlet. I never saw my mother without an apron. She was always working. If she wasn't baking, she'd be washing or she'd be cooking. She did a lot of responsibility. And of all the trains you've seen, Derek, what one would stick out in your mind? I'd say the Sugar Beat train there, yeah. Why? Because sugar was a big shortage on us in the batteries. We used to chase after there to try and get cups of sugar out. If the train stopped in Galvin Shed, we climb up on, on the carriage here to try and get out cups of sugar. The best part of the time we were always caught. <laughs> and how was, what would the sugar be like? Would the sugar be in a bag? Or was the sugar loose? Oh, the sugar was loose on the carriages, yeah. When I take you high knees and I'll go to dances, we go across the bridge, okay. the white bridge. And the whole boards were separated. We knew the place. In the middle of it, there was a big space between two two boards. Oh, yeah. You had to do well, a board you dash. To the Shannon, but you we used to run across it. I mean, we were so used to it. We were so used to it. We were. We went back and forth like it. No bother. No <laughs> <don't> bother. <laughs> anyway, if we turn in, we don't just go swim. Growing up in Beach Park, I had the railway at the end of the garden since uh, the earliest, the early days that I remember with steam trains. Uh, then to diesels and all the rest but with the steam trains I suppose one of the things that sticks out in my mind most was that uh, when my mother had a line of washing out on the line uh, steam trains were inclined to send off a few smuts and things so they, there was always a race to get the, the washing in before the train came so she knew the, the timetable of Irish Rail by heart I think at that time or CIE as it was then during the 1960s, my father, Michael Coyle, had a pub. It was actually the pub opposite the guards' barracks, which is now called Murphy's Law, I think. 
big drama used to occur the odd Sunday. You would get a mystery train at 12 o'clock. So they would arrive sometimes at, at, at Athlone. And we must remember at this time, the old railway station was over on the Connell side of Athlone. They'd all get off the train in droves and all come up along the accommodation road with one aim in mind, to go into the nearest pub for the entire afternoon. So my brother might be behind the counter in the pub with one customer, half asleep, and suddenly the door would open and the entire bar and lounge would fill to capacity within seconds. My brother would rush to the phone, pick it up and say two words, mystery train. Well, there'd be consternation in our house. Anybody who could serve would run down the street to the pub, run behind the counter and they'd be absolutely run off their feet for the next three hours while these visitors on their holidays almost drank us dry. And then suddenly it would be announced, the train is leaving and within Ten minutes, they'd all be gone again. And sometimes, one old man might say to Mammy, where are we, missus? And she'd say, you're in that loan. And that he'd be the only person who'd know what town they were in in Ireland. Do you remember when the circus came to town? Oh, yes. We were absolutely fascinated to see these, all these animals coming by train. The sea elephants all lined up, catching one another from tail to trunk and they marched them down the, the Galway Road up the promenade or as we used Grace Road is called now uh, the accommodation road we used to call it and at that time the bridge that was in that zone was a wooden bridge and they put a pound across the bridge and the, and the animals paraded through the town Mr. Lally was the station manager. He was the station master. They, you went into their house and there was a big stairs upstairs to the bedrooms. And the bedrooms opened on to the CIE platform. I thought this was so romantic a place to have your bedroom, you know. And Martin Lally was the name of the station master. And he was a lovely man. He would wear a hat and he would patrol or talk about giving attention to his customers. He would walk up and down the platform. Good morning, Mrs. Brown. Good morning, Mr. Brown and your family. And where you're going to Galway, isn't that lovely? And he'd have a word for everyone. He was a great station master. You have the bell from Athlone that was given to you... By Pecky Harney. That bell was on the platform in the old Midland station and written on as MGWR. That was the Midland Great Western Railway, you know, and that's what makes it valuable. And what I remember well, there was a man there, a station master called Leonard, and he used to ring the bell before the train departed. So someone said to him one day, Now, Mr. Leonard, what the hell are you ringing the bell for? Oh, I said, in case of some lady in the toilet, she said. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the, bell, the bell was rang to warn people that the train was going. They didn't go to the park. I worked in this one here in the Great Western, and I loved it. Although it was hard, I'll tell you. It was tough going, yeah? Can you imagine? Four of us, and that... You're, there's four of them going as hard as you can and then put on four copies, put them on the different files and have them in again and off like hell again. Oh, it was hectic. And if they fell out with you, they'd give you hell out. <laughs> bang, 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 bang. To drive a loco wasn't my goal. Oh, how I long for this. I worked and toiled and shoveled coal, saw nothing was amiss. Then came the day they passed me out. I felt I walked on air. I was now an engine driver, 
the watchword was beware. Progress shattered all my dreams. They went from steam to diesel. Now here I was starting out again with pen and chalk and easel. The love that once was shared with toil was now a thing of threads. This diesel was a monstrous thing. No heart, no soul, just legs. The Railway Children, a five-part radio series which tells the history of the railway in Athlone, County Westmeath, Ireland, as well as the stories of railway workers and their families. The Railway Children is presented by Ursula Ledwith and produced by, uh, on Athlone Community Radio and it was edited by Amanda Gunning with sound by Kyle McCallum and I want to thank Athlone Community Radio for permission to use this series and we will share the episodes with you over the coming weeks. In this short segment we hear a passenger's journey and their experience. As a passenger on a steam train what could I expect? Would I be in a, a soft seat? or In the early days, um, in certain classes of travel, there weren't any seats at all. You just stood in a wagon. Okay. Uh, but uh, things evolved to the stage that you see on present-day railways, uh, where there are uh, comfortable seats, uh, well-spaced, and uh, baggage room and all of that. Uh, in the older days, uh, baggage in particular was something of a challenge. They had to be put on overhead racks uh, in the individual compartments. And, of course, getting a heavy bag up above head height uh, is uh, not for the faint-hearted. And they did tend to bring heavier bags? Oh, very much so. Uh, our forefathers uh, travelled with the kitchen sink. They weren't travelling light. <laughs> Definitely not. Definitely not. Uh, the, the early carriages had individual compartments which would take um, 8 to 12 people depending on the class and that in present day terms has evolved to what are called open centre coaches where uh, there are seats either side of a central aisle. Then there was first class and third class. Well in some railways there was first, second, third and fourth believe it or not and uh, the fourth was um, Spartan to say the least of it uh, you were lucky if you had a seat a lot of times not and you were exceedingly lucky if you had a roof as well ok <laughs> so fourth no seat, no roof first uh, class first class, top of the pinnacle uh, you had a comfortable seat uh, you had a roof you had windows and uh, you were proof against the worst of the elements. And would there have been food on the trains? Um, from about the 1890s on, yes, dining cars be started to creep in. So, I would go down to the railway station with all my luggage. I would decide what class I was going to be travelling in. 
Would I get on board the train myself or would somebody, would an attendant bring my luggage on board? Well, there again, it depends on the era, but you skipped a step in the exercise Did of I? buying the ticket. Okay, we'll go back and we'll buy the ticket. Yeah. The actual uh, methods used varied from uh, laboriously handwriting every ticket out uh, to the present day where they're churned out of machines. But the basic principle is the same. No ticket, no travel. And that can be either manually in inspected or, uh, as nowadays in a lot of cases, it's automatically uh, checked as you go through the barrier. And back in the early days? Back in the early days, that was all done manually. There'd be a ticket inspector at the barrier giving access to the platform. There might or might not be travelling ticket inspectors as well, depending on the nature of the railway. And then at the far end, uh, there would be a ticket inspection as you passed off the platform out to the great outdoors. Okay. We'll just think I'm, I'm, I'm half an hour, an hour earlier. Would, would train stations have particular areas for the different class travelling to sit in? Oh yes, they, uh, they would have had classified railway um, waiting rooms and segregated ladies in general as well. Okay, so myself and my husband want to travel first class? Yes. Would we be in the same waiting room? We're an hour early. Well, you see, that would be uh, a general waiting room in which both sexes were welcome. Okay. And if ladies wanted to uh, be segregated, they would go to the ladies' waiting room on their own. And then that depended on what class ticket I had? Uh, it could do, yes. Uh, sometimes there was just a, a general waiting room uh, in a small station, but big ones would certainly have uh, different classes segregated in the waiting rooms. Okay, so the train is uh, steaming into the station. I'm going to get on board uh, the first class carriage. Mm -hmm. I'm a single lady travelling on my own and I have my luggage. Uh, in the old days there would have been porters available uh, to give you assistance and most particularly to take your luggage in and do the heavy haulage up onto the rack. Um, they're pretty well a dead breed now, but then people travel with lighter luggage, so it's, it's less of a, a, a chore. Also, the doors and uh, steps on trains nowadays are much more user-friendly than mm. they once were. Sometimes you had to scramble up from nearly track level to uh, a floor level, which would be higher than the table we're sitting at. Okay. So, would it be in order that I would give the porter a tip? Oh, very much. The regulations may well, if you read them carefully, uh, may well say uh, staff are forbidden from accepting gratuities. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the old-fashioned shake it, hands. It was the dumb thing to tip porters. So now I travel along, I get into my carriage. Maybe it's a cold day. Would I be able to get a, a hot drink or a hot water bottle or... Uh, the first thing that was available, or became available indeed, uh, was um, a foot warmer, which was literally a flat tin that you could put your feet on, and there was uh, a chemical within it 
and these were boiled up uh, in a heat or somewhere around the station before departure and they'd be just shoved in on the floor uh, very much a first class uh, facility uh, the third class froze but then um, again about the 1880s or thereabouts uh, the um, the trains became steam heated steam from the locomotive was piped along the length of the train with flexible couplings between individual vehicles and then there were under siege tanks in the form of central heating and they were a great blessing when they worked they could and they did go wrong they were temperamental uh, they needed a lot of maintenance put it that way I could smoke on the train initially smoking was very much frowned on even in stations let alone on trains and then uh, by degrees uh, <coughs> there were designated uh, smoking rooms to wait in and then designated compartments would be labelled either smoking or non-smoking as appropriate would there have been a bar on board the, the early steam trains? Not on the early ones. They didn't. That didn't come in until, oh, I suppose, about the eighteen nineties, early eighteen nineties, and uh, then for competitive reasons, uh, different railways went down different roads as to the extent of the uh, refreshment facilities which could include a full sit-down four-course meal, and a very good one at that, uh, or it could be the present day where you, uh, uh, you'll have a, a, a trolley at your seat. Okay, so I've travelled along, I've got to my destination, I've arrived in that lone station, mm -hmm. I've travelled first class, yeah. I now want to get off. I need my ticket. And you uh, summon a porter off the platform, or you catch his eye and say, come over, and you'd point out your luggage, and he'd take it down and carry it out outside the station for you and put it into whatever conveyance you were travelling with, be it a, a carriage or a horse cab or, or even a jaunting car, if you really wanted a thrill. <laughs> um, well, just say I'm arriving in Athlone, I just want to stay in a hotel for a few days. Yes. Well, in the case of um, town hotels, they often had what was called an omnibus, a horse-drawn bus, uh, which would take 20 people or so, plus their luggage. And they were dedicated to uh, an individual hotel in the town. And I would tip the porter again? Uh, yes, you would. And I'd tip the omnibus driver? You would. And I'd pay him a fare as well? And no, that would be gratuitous. It would be included in the uh, overnight stay cost. 